The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. The theme of the chapter is unbelief. You see Jesus dealing with his disciples and Jesus dealing with crowds and Jesus dealing with individuals. We come to this wicked man, Herod, and uh, Herod had a big problem. And we're going to look at some of these things in Herod's life and then see how uh, this kind of plays out today when it comes to unbelief and when it comes to sin. And here is Herod, and he hears about Jesus. So Jesus' name is being spread abroad. Jesus is preaching, and he's speaking as one as have authority and not as the scribes. And so he's gaining some rapport, and his people are gathering in crowds to hear him. We'll see later on in the chapter that thousands are gathering to hear Jesus preach, and they're seeing the miracles that he's doing. And Different people are coming away with different conclusions about who Jesus is. And Jesus has a conversation later with his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And some say that he's John the Baptist and some say that he's Elijah and some say that he's a prophet and a good teacher. And uh, you remember later he says to Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And by the way, it's the same declaration that Mark begins the gospel of Mark with. Mark begins the gospel with presenting Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the Savior. And uh, that's who he believes, and this is the presentation to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is, the servant, uh, the suffering servant, the Savior of the world. And he's laying that out through these stories as the uh, Holy Spirit is weaving these stories together for us to present to us who Jesus is. And, And really it's important today that you come away with knowing who Jesus is. Not because I say who Jesus is or someone else says who Jesus is, but because of what the Word of God says about who Jesus is. It's very important that you come away knowing who Jesus is today. Because here's the truth, as we start the text, Herod does not know who Jesus is. It's a big problem in Herod's life. Listen, not knowing who Jesus is is a big problem for everyone that doesn't know who Jesus is. Some people say that he's a good teacher, some say he's a great person in history, some even deny at the face of history and facts, even his existence that he ever was and that he is who the Bible declares him to be. And Jesus could not just be a good man because good people don't walk around around claiming to be God. And Jesus said that he was God. And so we understand about what the Bible says about who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, the prophesied one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is In the Father, the Father's in Him. I and the Father are one, He says. And so He is God in the flesh. As John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That all things were made by Him. All things were made for Him. That's who He is. And that's why when we come to the text, we can understand what manner of man is this that even the winds and waves obey Him. Why, Why do they obey Him? Because He's God. That's why they obey Him. What kind of man is this that the devils would would throw themselves down at his feet and beg for mercy? Why would they do that? Why would they confess who he is? Because the devils believe, the Bible says, and tremble. They know who he is. It's interesting that creation knows who God is, knows who Jesus is. The devil knows who Jesus is. But a lot of people don't know who Jesus is. And here's a question for you today. Do you know who Jesus is? I, I don't mean who you believe Jesus is because of your religious background or who you were taught Jesus is. Jesus to you might be uh, someone to pray to. He might be a statue. I I don't know who Jesus is to you. He might be just a good person, but you need to know who the Bible says Jesus is. A lot of people claim Jesus, but they don't claim the Jesus of the Bible. And they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. 
And I want to look at some things in the life of Herod that might help us to understand who Jesus is as we talk about the progression of sin and unbelief. Number one, the, the problem of unrepentant sin. The problem of unrepentant sin. Well, as we look at the life of Herod, we understand that he had a big glaring problem. John the Baptist, who Jesus himself said there was none greater than John. John comes and he's preaching. What's he preaching? Well, behold the Lamb of God, which should take away the sins of the world. He identifies who Jesus is. He's preparing the way for the Lord. He's the prophesied one that would go before Jesus, the herald before, that would declare who Jesus is to those that were living in that day. Many people heard John, and many people believed on Jesus as a result of John's preaching. They understood who, as Jesus was identified by John and who he is. John said, hey, listen, I'm not even worthy to latch his, his sandals. I'm not worthy to do anything. But yet, Jesus was baptized of John because that's what God ordered. That's what God prophesied. And boy, the people, you know, they see uh, the, the, the Spirit of God descending like a dove on Jesus. I don't know what that looked like, but that was kind of the description the Bible gives us. Then the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We understand that Jesus is increasing, and John, as he said, I must decrease. And we see that happening. And, and we have this flashback as Jesus is being heard about, Herod is hearing about who Jesus is, he gets this flashback into something that he did in the past, something that has happened before this event of him hearing about Jesus. And he starts in his mind to think. There's this gnawing conviction that comes into his mind that this is John the Baptist that's coming back from the dead to haunt him. This is John the Baptist is coming back from the dead because, hey, listen, conviction is heavy in his life because he has unrepentant sin in his life. And he's done something is wrong. I mean, John... In the text, he, he comes before him and he says, hey, listen, think about how pompous, how prideful, how lustful this man was. He saw his brother's wife and decided that he loved her and he wanted to take her. And so he takes his brother's wife for himself. The, you know, history tells us this is not just his brother's wife. It's also his half-niece. It's just some weird, incestuous, uh, strange relationship, just completely thriving on the lust of a man to take this woman to be his wife. We see also the wickedness of Herodias. She was no righteous person either. I mean, what kind of person asks for the prophet's head in a charger and then takes it, receives it, accepts it? I don't know what she did with it. But, I mean, what kind of person uh, desires for that to happen? We see her manipulative spirit. We see her desire. This is something that uh, uh, Herod was paying for. Boy, this sin of taking this woman to be his wife and desiring to have her. And he felt conviction... Uh, when he was confronted about his sin. You think about what the Bible talks about uh, when John gets there and he shows up, he points his finger at Herod and says, Herod, he says, this is a sin for you to have your, your, uh, your brother's wife. This is adulterous. The, the, the Holy Spirit even identifies that it's not his wife. It says that he took his brother's wife and he married her. It still calls her his brother's wife. It's not, doesn't belong, to, she doesn't belong to him. It's not his wife. And he felt conviction when he was confronted about his sin. He loved his sin, so he chose those who contributed and encouraged sin over those who confronted him about it. And so Herod was confronted about his sin by the man of God. And notice what happens when unrepentant sin is in your life. Let me give you some things that I believe unrepentant sin will, how it will progress and the problem that it will cause in your life. I believe that it will deafen your ears from hearing truth. Unrepentant sin will deafen your ears from hearing truth. 
It's interesting, uh, when we hold on to sin, even though we know something is true, you know, uh, we all have been in that position where we've been confronted. We've been confronted with something. And if you're a believer today, you understand that the Holy Spirit confronts you about your sin before anybody else does. The Holy Spirit uses Matthew 18 progression. Uh, before he tells the church, before he tells another brother, he always comes to you first alone. Isn't that the progression that Jesus gave in Matthew 18 for how to deal with when we're offending uh, someone? Uh, the person that's offended is supposed to go to the one that's offended them alone and try to make it right. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does with us? When we offend him, when we sin against him, he comes to us first alone. He doesn't tell anybody else about it. He doesn't reveal. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit is like that in our lives? And he doesn't uh, just kind of publish it to the whole world. And how many are glad that the Holy Spirit is merciful and gracious to us and reveals things to us? And you know what he wants us to do? Well, when we're confronted and we're convicted about sin in our lives, he wants us to confess our sins as believers because he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But have you ever continued in sin that grace may abound? The Bible says, God forbid that we who are dead to sin should not continue any longer therein. And listen, the danger of unrepentant sin in the life of a Christian is bad enough, but think about the danger of unrepentant sin in the life of an unbeliever. Because in the case of Herod, we're talking about someone that's underneath the wrath of God, someone that is condemned already because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Someone who doesn't know Jesus is in their sin, is confronted about their sinfulness. Many times when people are confronted with the gospel, the most offensive thing about the gospel is that the gospel says to all of us, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You'll never be good enough for God to receive you into heaven, for God to uh, accept you in relationship. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. And, and by the way, what does religion do? Well, religion props us up, doesn't it? It tells us, hey, if we try hard enough, if we do enough, if we, if we work hard enough, that we can get ourselves to this position to where we're accepted about God. And here's the big question. If that's true, why would God send his only son to die for us. If we could, through some works, save ourselves, why would Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus die the way that he died? Why did Jesus die on the cross? And so it's an affront to us, it's an offense to us when the gospel is presented to us, because I cannot need a savior until I first realize I'm a sinner. There's a problem with unrepentant sin, because what I'm saying is, is I'm good enough without God's sacrifice. I'm good enough without Jesus. I don't need Jesus. And here in this case, Herod had unrepentant sin. It will deafen your ears from hearing truth. Number two, it will numb your senses from feeling conviction. It will numb your senses from feeling conviction. You know, sometimes in our lives, there, this is the first time that we did something, and boy, there was maybe some shame or some blush or some guilt or some fear even that entered our lives of somebody catching us or somebody seeing us, but... As we continue, as we don't repent, you know what happens? What we were one time ashamed of, we now become proud of. What once was private to us, now we're not afraid to have people see publicly in our lives. What once was something that we would have said, I don't want people to know about, now becomes something that we're okay with people knowing about. As a matter of fact, we've not only excused it, but now we have promoted it in our lives because we're numb. Uh, to the feelings of conviction. We see in our text that Herod felt conviction, even sorrow over the things that he had done, deep sorrow when he took the life of John. But we see that he still continues regardless of the feelings. You know what the Bible says? Godly sorrow worketh repentance. 
Godly sorrow worketh repentance. You know, sometimes people don't understand that God may have allowed you to be in a position today uh, where there's some things in your life that are broken that are coming apart. There may be some relational difficulty. There may be some health difficulty. There may be some financial difficulty. And you may have come to church with the hopes of, if I just go to church, then maybe my life will get better. Maybe things will improve. If I just kind of surround myself with other good people, maybe God will, you know, toss me a bone. Maybe he'll, he'll give me some help in this area. Maybe he'll bail me out of my situation because I'm in a tough situation. I just need God to do something about it. But how many know that's not how the gospel works at all? You know, what we need is we don't need to turn over a new leaf. We, we need to confess our sins to God. We need to repent of our sins and turn from our sins to living God who, who died for us on the cross and who wants to receive us into a relationship with him and save us from our sins. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those that, who did he say that to? Those that believed themselves to be righteous, the religious crowd, the Pharisees. They believed themselves to be righteous in their works. They believed themselves to be righteous in their ways. And then there's the sinners. Well, the sinners that won't confess. Clearly, uh, there's no, no excuse for Herod. There's no argument for Herod. We can see Herod's a sinner. I think anybody with any sense can see that Herod's a sinner, but Herod can't see he's a sinner. He's not feeling what he should feel. Uh, unrepentant sin removes your ability to feel remorse. It removes your ability to feel remorse. It leads you to eliminating what you at one time respected and cared for. It leads you to eliminating what you at one time respected and cared for. Isn't it interesting that when I have unrepentant sin in my life, there's things that I respect, there's voices that I respect, there's people that I respect, but when I have unrepentant sin in my life, I cut those people off from my life. I don't want to hear from those people. I actually disrespect those people. I, I behead those people. I, I cut them off from my life. I don't want to hear their voices anymore. We turn it off. Some people, they love, they go to church, and if we can just hear some good thing, we can hear some just encouragement, some, something to fluff us up, something to make us feel good about ourselves. And then, you know, when they hear a message that's somewhat confrontational when it comes to their lifestyle, when it comes to sinfulness, it's like, well, you know, I don't really want that kind of message. I don't want to really be challenged in that kind of way. I would rather hear something that makes me feel good about myself. And the truth is, is you know, when we have a disease... The, the need is that we have, have, get a cure for that disease, not that we, so that we feel better in our disease. Sinfulness is something that's killing people, for the wages of sin is death. But it removes our ability to feel remorse. It leads you to eliminating what you at one time respected and cared for. How about this? Uh, when I'm in repent, unrepentant sin, it enslaves me to my own desires. It enslaves me to my own desires. It's interesting that people that are in unrepentant sin actually deceive themselves before they deceive anybody else. They believe themselves to be free when they're at most, most enslaved and in shackles. Sin doesn't set anyone free. Sin enslaves people. But the message of the world and the culture that we live in is that true freedom is being proud about sin. That true freedom is being, uh, being open about your sinfulness and not having any shame. Being open about the things that you're doing that are contrary to the Word of God and, and not caring about what anybody thinks about it. To be bold about it. Boy, that is the, uh, that is, that is the, the, the rise of what we see the end result of when we're in unrepentant sin. When I cast off the truth, what it becomes to me, it becomes something I eventually want to kill. 
what I want to get rid of, what I want to quiet, because I'm a slave. The Bible describes people like this, whose God is their belly. In other words, who they serve is their own desires, their own lusts. Uh, they, they serve their own pleasures. They can't hear the truth because it, it comes in conflict with their emotion. It comes to confrontation to their desires. And so they cannot say no to themselves because they're living for themselves. And they can never be confronted that there's somehow a problem with them. They need the problem to be external, not internal. But the problem is, is in our heart, isn't it? The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked above all things. And who can know it? But we all have a problem because we live in a world that says that people are generally good. That people, you know, they're good. You know, that we have some bad eggs here and there and, you know, we need to lock those people up and cast them off. And now we live in a world that is very antagonistic towards Christianity, evangelical Christianity, that we're, we're evil, we're, we're judgmental, we're, you know, anybody who stands against what stands for what the Bible teaches. And by the way, John the Baptist was somebody who Herod at one time, who he feared, who he respected, who he wanted to hear something from, who he even protected. Think about it. Herodias wanted him to die, but she couldn't kill him. Why? Because Herod wouldn't let her, and his compromise was locking him up, holding him close. He wanted to uh, hear him. The Bible says he went down to observe him while he was there in prison. He was almost like a confidant to him. He had a relationship with John. He wanted to hear what John had to say. He was protecting John by putting him in prison because Herodias wanted his head. And there he is. He's he's having that relationship that's there. He doesn't want to kill John. But notice the unrepentant sin causes a progression to the point of where he ends up having to do what he never thought he would do, never wanted to do, never planned to do. Because as the old preacher said, sin will take you further than you ever want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will make you do things you never wanted to do. The things that you would never trade off for. Sin, when it's finished, when it's finished, brings forth what? Death. A man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Here's a man living in lust, a man living in pride. The problem of unrepentant sin. Number two, the progression of unbelief. The progression of unbelief. Jesus warned the people up to this point about unbelief and the dangers of unbelief. There was an extreme version of this when they actually attributed the works of Christ to the works of the devil. Boy, that was an extreme to unbelief, saying that what Jesus is doing is actually wrong. What Jesus is actually doing is driven by demonic evil forces. But that wasn't the case at all. Jesus warns them about unbelief. Jesus warns them about the dangers of it. When we're faced with the truth, we need to listen to the truth. We need to believe the truth. There's a danger when we say, I'm not going to believe it. I don't want to believe it. Here's the truth this morning. I don't know how many times you've heard the gospel, but what I do know is that you're not guaranteed to ever hear it again. We don't, we're not guaranteed another day, another moment. You say, well, that's just being dramatic. No, it's not being dramatic. It's being honest. Hey, what is your life, the Bible says, it's even a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. Nobody plans for sudden death in their life. Nobody plans for the end. Nobody plans for things to come. And you know what? You can put it off and you can put it off and uh, many people do. There's people in the scriptures that we see that the gospel is presented to them. I think of King Agrippa and Paul giving his testimony. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost, almost, I'm almost there. I'm almost going to believe. I'm almost going to believe. Hey, listen, how much do you need before you'll believe? 
How much do you require of God before you'll just believe in faith what He says? It's not complicated, but we complicate it because we're holding on to. We think by believing on Jesus, we're going to lose something. But can I say this? What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? You know what people do? They exchange their souls for cheap things. They always, always sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate. I want immediate pleasure. I want immediate satisfaction. I want immediate joy. And so I'm not willing to sacrifice the temporal things for the eternal things. Boy, Christians, isn't that convicting somewhat to us as we're in this life and God's called us to live in a crucified way, that we're crucified in the flesh, we're living unto God, we're walking in the works that God has before ordained, that we should walk in them. We're not to walk in the flesh to fulfill their lust. we're to walk in the Spirit. He commands us to do that. And walking in the Spirit, how many know, Christians, this morning, walking in the Spirit is not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing. We, we, we somewhat... Make it sound like it's so simple, but it is not. Moment by moment, yielding to the Holy Spirit, putting down my desires, putting down my flesh, putting down what I want, and being obedient. It's amazing how sometimes even Christians, they scratch their head. I don't know why I'm having so many issues. I don't know why I'm having so many problems. And you know what? It's amazing because they're disobeying God in one area of their life, and they're thinking somehow God's going to bless them. Well, God, I'll I'll start being faithful to your church. I'll start being faithful to your word. I'll start being faithful to prayer. I'll start being faithful in giving. I'll I'll be faithful when, when everything in my life comes to peace, when everything in my life comes to rest, when everything in my life aligns the way that it needs to align, then I'll express faith. Hey, Christian, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. You're saying, God, align my life and then I'll express faith. God, do for me, then I'll do for you. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. You say, God, I'll believe what your word says even though I cannot see the result of it. Even though I'm not in the position where I feel that I can do, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to align my life in obedience because I know and believe that your word says that if I'll follow you, if I'll submit and yield to you, that you're going to bring blessing to my life. And by the way, the motivation of our lives is not that we get for ourselves. We didn't come to worship God today for what he could give us. We came to worship God for what we are in him, not from what we get from him. And so many times we're like, God, give me this and God, give me that. How many have ever been in in an abusive relationship where the only person, reason why the person was in the relationship was to get from you? That's not the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with him. Oh, God, I want uh, my, uh, my, my finances to be better. I want my health to be better. I want this to be better. And so I'm here to get something from you. Hey, listen, we're here because we've received something from him that is above anything else that we could receive in this earth. And it's salvation by grace through faith. It's eternal life in Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord. Aren't you glad that you've received new life in him, that he's transformed your life, that you passed from death to life? And what's our reasonable service, Christians, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him? That's just reasonable service. Notice the progression of unbelief in Herod. He enjoyed hearing John. He respected him. At first, unbelief will cause you to attempt to discredit the sources of truth in your life. Isn't it amazing that people that don't believe, they're always going about to making a big case for something that doesn't exist. Why are you working so hard to disprove something you don't believe in? It's interesting that people who say there's no God spend all of their lives trying to tell everybody else there's no God. 
Why? Because there's a gnawing, convicting thing that has to happen in my life. I have to put that off. I have to reject that. Uh, People don't come to the conclusion that there's no God. They're not born that way. Uh, They're taught that. It's learned. There's a rejection of. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their own imaginations, their own lusts, their own desires. They, They turned the creature into God rather than the creator. And what? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools What does the Bible say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You move to a position of unbelief, even that there is a God. But you have to attempt to discredit the sources of truth in your life. What's interesting is that when Herod came and looked around John, I'm sure that he tried to approach John in a similar way that he had approached at some time the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees taught the law, and Herod was a Jew. At one time, Herod just kind of cast off that religious way of living and just decided that he was not going to honor the Sabbath, and he was not going to uh, eat the things that were clean, and he was not going to... He, he rejected the law of God and Judaism far, be, far before he rejected the gospel. And he threw that off because, listen, the Pharisees didn't speak with authority. The Pharisees didn't preach the gospel. The Pharisees were hypocrites. And so he could discredit them easily. But when he got to John, John was preaching. John was preaching, but when he looked at John's life, you notice what he saw? A man that was holy. A man that was just. A man that was living the life that he was preaching. A man that truly believed in what he... A man that, whose life has been, had been transformed by his faith. So he couldn't punch holes in, even though he, he tried, even though he looked at different angles, even though he tried to trip up John, he couldn't punch holes in. I can imagine there were other conversations that Herod and John had. For John to be in the presence of Herod to come and accuse him and for Herod to want to protect him, they must have had some kind of relationship where they had some conversations, I believe, that John would go to him and God, John would speak to him. And you imagine hearing those conversations, the ones they had when he was locked up in prison while, while he was being observed by him. Notice the Bible says that he observed John. What was he doing? He was looking at him. He was watching him. Why? Because before we can cast something off, we have to discredit the sources of truth. We must continue here. Attempt to discredit the sources of life, uh, uh, sources of truth in your life. Hey, continue to excuse the sins in your life, the progression of unbelief. Continue to excuse the sins in your life. Well, they're not my fault. Well, they're put on me. Well, someone else did them to me, and so that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm living this way. Listen, friend, I'm not saying that life has been fair to you. I'm not saying that people have treated you right. I'm not even excusing the wrong things that people have done to you. But what I'm saying is you cannot let that disable you, keep you from Believing God. Don't let what others have done to you. Don't let how others have abused you or mistreated you keep you from believing the truth of God's word. That is the reason for which the devil sent that evil into your life. But can I tell you what the devil meant unto you for evil? God's meant unto you for good. God, God wants to bring goodness to your life. God wants to bring salvation to your life through these, uh, uh, through these hurts, through these uh, baggages that you carry. And God's brought you here to this place today to hear the gospel because he wants you to respond to the truth. Don't walk away and say, it's not for me. I, I don't need it. Well, too many people have let me down. Religion has let me down. Churches have let me down. There's too many hypocrites. There's too many, I don't like organized. I've heard it all. Everybody makes excuses. We excuse our own sins so that we can continue in it, continue in unbelief. How about this? As we continue to excuse the sins of our life, we must hold hostage to truth in order to quiet it. We must hold hostage the truth in order to quiet it. 
That's what we see in the world today that wants to cast off truth and all absolute truth. Is it interesting that they make the absolute statement that there's no absolute truth? Now, there's there's no standard. Isn't it interesting in the world that we live in what they have attempted to do? And by the way, this is a systematic leading of the devil in the world that we live in, the prince of the power of the air. He has systematically removed the standards, hasn't he? I remember hearing preachers of old time thinking about it. Some of you old, old timers that were in public schools, you remember when the Bible was there. You remember when they had Bible classes. You remember now, you, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to do, hey, stripping away, systematically stripping away the standards of truth. Why? Because if I can remove these things, if I can, if I can strip them away, if I can tear them down, and by the way, the world does it in the name of tolerance while they're so intolerant of truth. While they're so intolerant of those that believe the word of God. You know, stripping away from. And by the way, the, the, the Bible doesn't have new enemies today. There's many, many a dictator, many, many a person who's tried to lock the Bible up, burn the Bible, get rid of the Bible. Europe lived in dark ages because of the absence of the Bible. Because religion held the Bible hostage so they can control the people. You know what happened? God brought the truth to light. People received the Bible in their own language. What happened? Renaissance, art, music. People began to thrive again. People began to desire freedom. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, people who like to change history like to say that the Bible is an oppressive thing that locks up cultures, when in history, the Bible has always set cultures free. The Bible has always liberated people. The Bible has always given the desire to overthrow those things that were holding them back from knowing and understanding the truth. The Bible's done that for me in my life. It's set my mind free. It's helped me to understand and, and rise above all the rhetoric, all the garbage, all the... Isn't it interesting? They call it brainwashing when you believe the Bible, but really the truth is, is that they're most brainwashed when they reject the Bible. They're believing what everybody else, the, the rhetoric that's being uh, told to us, they're swallowing the bait hook, line, and sinker. Continue to excuse the sins of your life. Hold hostage to truth in order to quiet this. You see this in Herod with John. And then ultimately choose to silence it completely. Now Herod got to the point to where he just said, that's it. I'm going to have to silence it. I'm going to have to cut it off. He had to come to grips in confrontation between what he desired, what he lusted for, what he wanted. Hey, listen, for the sake of his friends, you think about that. For the sake of his friends, that's what the Bible says. He beheaded John for fear of what his friends, the people that were in there at his birthday party, what kind of friends were these that would hold him to something like that? What kind of oath was this? What kind of, what kind of relationship? I mean, who, who just applauds when someone who's innocent gets their head lopped off? Who cheers for that? Well, a world that hates truth. They, 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 don't, they don't want... The, the truth to have its day. Oh, they wanted silence. They wanted quieted. Why? Because uh, if they heard John's voice, oh, he would have come out and said, oh, now, now you're going for your wife's daughter. His wife's daughter is there dancing sensuously there for him and his birthday. They're all lusting after her, and he makes his vow. Isn't it interesting what lust causes us to do? Makes vows that we can't keep, say words we can't back up. He was promising something he couldn't even give. By the way, Herod wasn't even a king. He was a ruler there in Galilee. Later on, Caligula in about 39 AD was going to remove him for power, for his boasting, for his prideful position. Later on, he would be cut off. 
And listen, later on, you know what's amazing about this? Later on, Jesus himself was going to stand at trial before Herod. You know what, Jesus, you know what Herod wanted? All Herod wanted was for Jesus to entertain him. Do a miracle. I want to see some signs. I want to see some wonders. I, I want to see some miracles. I want to be entertained. And Jesus stood before him and get this, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, in whom no fault was founded, he stood silently and said nothing to Herod. There were no words to say to him. Herod had reached the pinnacle of unbelief and rejection of who Jesus was. There he was, just still feeding his belly and his desires and his lusts. So there's the problem of unrepentant sin. There's the progression of unbelief. And then lastly, let's look at this and we'll be done. There's the pressing need today for repentance and faith. There's the pressing need today for repentance and faith. How do we come away from this? You say, well, I'd never be Herod. I don't think anybody ever sets out to be, but we see this kind of character repeated in history over and over again. Nobody ever sets out to be. He has John beheaded, his head put in a charger, gives it to this girl. She brings it to her mother. And he, the Bible says, is exceeding sorry. He's to this point in his life where he's so broken and and twisted and perverted and wicked in his own mind that even he, a Sadducee, this is how we know he dissented from and left even his own faith and religion and cast that off before he ever became a liberal. He was a legalist. You know, here he was with the background. How How many people are out in society that used to have a religious background? You know, they grew up in the church. Their parents were loosely associated with faith, and now they're just this outspoken for perversion person in society, and they talk about all this. Hey, listen, it's an easy jump from legalism to liberalism. It's an easy jump. You just have to switch everything over. It's the same basis it's built up on, pride. Instead of serving a religion, now you're just serving yourself. Instead of a God being someone that you can't touch and someone that has no mercy and love, you just serve out of fear and you hope that it'll save you. Now on the other side, he doesn't exist and you don't have to, but You have another God, it's the God of your own lust, the God of your own desires, and you'll do whatever your lust drives you to do. I mean, could we be any more appalled in our society with some of the things that we're seeing, some of the things that we're hearing, that are coming out of people's mouths, that are coming from people's lives, some of the things that are uncovered? I I don't know about you, but it's no surprise to me, even a little bit, what's coming out of Hollywood. No surprise. Why? Because you can't live in that kind of sinfulness. You can't live in that kind of society. You cannot live in that kind of denial and not have these these ultimate perversions that are coming out. Now people are disgusted with and moving away from, but at the same time are not running to the answer. The answer is not more moralism. The answer is not more conservatism. The answer is we need to do something about our soul, the problem that we have. What do we need? Repentance and faith. You know what I'm praying, church? I'm praying that through all of the things that we're seeing in our world today, that people will turn from their sin to a holy God who died on the cross for them and loves them and wants to give them life in Jesus Christ. Because all these naysayers that have been talking down about faith, have been talking away from, have been persecutors of, are now being found out for their perversions and all these things are being uncovered. And by the way, I understand it's happened within religion too. Again, I told you it's an easy jump from legalism to liberalism. What do we need? We need the gospel. We need Jesus. We need 
to understand that there's a pressing need today for repentance and faith. We must, church first, continue to preach the truth of God's Word. We've got to be like John. At the face of difficulty, at the face of confrontational things, at the face of, hey, listen, there are many a church that today are flying flags they shouldn't be flying, are identifying themselves with ways they shouldn't be identifying themselves, who have backed away from truth for fear of persecution. And we've got to be like John. We've got to be holy and pure. And we've got to continue to preach the truth of God's Word. We can't back away from it. Listen, sin is what's killing people. We don't want to excuse it. We must, number two, continue to express faith in God's Word by living it out. We can't just preach the Word of God. We've got to live it. We have got to live it, church. By the way, if I've been transformed through Christ, through the power of Christ, I'm not just talking about that. I am a Christian. I'm living like I am a Christian. You know how you live like you're a Christian? You live this. You live this. You study to know it, and you do it. You say, well, I don't understand it all. Well, do what you understand. I don't know it all. Well, do what you know. You know, the key to more knowledge, the key to more understanding in your life is just obeying what God has already revealed to you, doing what God has already showed you. You say, well, if God shows me the whole picture, then I'll do it. No, no, just do what he's shown you already. You know where you've stopped growing, Christian? The, the place you've stopped growing is the place you stopped obeying. That's it. Because the key to growth in the Christian life is obedience. Go back to where you started disobeying God and make that right. Repent. Say, God, this is where I stopped in my Christian life. I stopped being faithful. I backed off from the things. And I began to excuse it too. I made excuses because of my life. I made excuses because of my desires. I made excuses because of what I wanted. I didn't like the confrontation of it. I didn't like the heaviness of it. I didn't like the responsibility of it. Listen, it's why people leave relationships all the time. They don't understand that with the reward of relationships also comes the responsibility in a relationship. God puts a responsibility on us as believers to live out the gospel before people. We must continue to express faith in God's word by living it out. Number three, we must meet the confrontation of truth today with humility and repentance. We must meet the confrontation of truth today with humility and repentance. I understand, listen, when we, when we give the truth, there's people that have varying degrees of responses. Some will do this. Well, I'm never going back to that church. I'm not, I'm not going back there. I don't want to hear, I don't want to be confronted with, I, I, don't, I don't want to hear, you know, I'd rather hear something nice, I'd rather hear, and also, I'd rather also have this ritual that I'm not attached to. I don't, I don't want anything real. I just want to be entertained. I just, I like the music, and I like the entertainment, and I like the kind of the social hour of it, I like the relationships, but I don't want any responsibility. I, I don't want to have to come away with having to do anything. That's too heavy for me. Hey, listen, Christians, what we need today is we, mu- we must meet the confrontation of truth with humility and repentance. Had Herod done that, it would have been a different story. Had he listened to the voice of John and put away the woman that was not his wife, boy, she would have never been there to require of him, John said. We understand this is all part of God's plan, that God is using these things. But I'm telling you, listen, I don't want to be like Herod in the case of when I'm confronted with truth, that I meet it with pride and rejection of it. And then lastly today is the pressing need today for repentance and faith. We must persevere in living holy and just lives so others will hear the truth. We must persevere in living holy and just lives so others will hear the truth. Listen, look at, look at it with me. Look at the text. Notice verse number 20. For Herod what? 
feared John, knowing that he was a what? Just man. Look at it, church. Verse 20. Knowing that he was a what? Just man and what? Holy. And observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. The Bible says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Bible says that many shall see it and fear and trust in him. I don't believe that he was quaking in his boots in the presence of John, but I believe that there was a respect, there was some kind of reverence, there was, there was, a, there was an understanding that what John was saying was what he needed to hear. There was truth to it. The truth is, causes fear in our lives, doesn't it? Because we have to respond to it. And also, what the truth does is it presents us with an opportunity to express faith, and that's scary too, isn't it? Because faith is trusting even though I don't know the result. Trusting even though I don't know how it's going to work out. Trusting even though I understand that people may oppose me, reject me, or even cut me off in my relationships. That's why when Jesus presented discipleship, it wasn't an easy thing. Take up your cross and follow me. That's scary, isn't it? Come on, are you with me? Is that a little scary, taking up your cross and following Jesus? That's, that's daunting to me. That's scary to me. Sometimes we kind of treat that like it's easy, but truly bearing your cross in this world is not an easy thing to do. But when you take up your cross and follow Jesus, let me say this, it gives weight to your words. It's so that other people can hear the truth from you. And how shall they hear without a preacher? The absence of the preacher today is not the absence of, yes, churches need pastors, and yes, we need more churches. But the absence of the preachers today in the world is not because God hasn't sent them. He's sent them. The absence of the preachers is that there's not enough people in the church, the people that believe themselves to be preachers. Go into all the world church and what? Preach the gospel. That's men, that's women. You're all preachers. How shall they hear without a preacher? Well, they should hear because there are preachers that are in the world today. But what? We've negated our responsibility, church, because we've traded our responsibility for the rewards of the Christian life. We want them now. We want heaven now. If you don't believe that, listen to Christians talk. I want heaven now. I want heaven on earth. I want heaven in my finances. I want heaven in my home. I want heaven in my relationships. I want heaven in my health. I want everything to be perfect now. God never promised us Christians, perfection here on this earth. He told us that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But he says we have hope in that. We can trust in that because nobody can pluck us from the Father's hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Listen, it doesn't matter. Persecution, nothing in the earth, nothing under the earth, nothing around the earth, nothing in space or in time, nothing in science can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing the devil can do. There's nothing this world can do that can separate us from that. You know what that does? It gives us boldness. It gives us courage. It gives us blessed hope. You know, hope is not, I hope it doesn't rain today. Hope is confident expectation. Hope is believing it's going to happen and knowing that you can take God at his word. Do you have that hope in you today? If you don't, let me tell you this. What you need is you need to turn from your sin to the Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin. He didn't do that to establish many of the organized religions today that use his word, use his name to manipulate people. He did that to set us free. 
He said, you have the truth, and the truth will make you free. He did that to save his people from their sins. Have you been saved from your sins, or are you still living in your sins? If you've been saved, if you've been born again, you've been saved from your sins, out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm not asking you today, did you pray a prayer? Did you have an experience? Did you profess Christ's name? I'm asking you, have you been born again? Has your life changed since you met Jesus Christ? If you've had that transformation, listen, Christian, is your life, the way that you're living it now, heavy enough in the sense of the weight of, the responsibility of, discipleship and following Jesus? Is there weight to your words and your testimony? Are you preaching the gospel? And will people believe you because of how you're living your life? Are you like John? Boy, I want to be like John the Baptist. How about you? Jesus said there was none greater in the earth than John. And John, here he is. He's confronting error. He's bringing, if you would, uh, the, the message of the word of God to those that need it. And boy, as Jesus' words, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Here's Herod, and he can't give up all the stuff he has. And listen, I don't know what it is that you trade for your soul today, but I would implore you not to trade anything for it. Jesus gave his life for you. He exchanged himself He became sin for you so that you could be made righteous in Him. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.